When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Alright, welcome to the What If Football podcast here, courtesy of the Sports Social Podcast Network. We are celebrating episode 99 with our penultimate What If Football podcast of the year, of course, before the World Cup. We are reviewing the Barclays once again, the Premier League as it is known, the 2006-2007 season. We've got Watford there back, we've got Sheffield United there back, and we've got a title race. Let's get stuck in. And Watford is, of course, where we will start, because we do go 20 to number one on this What If Football podcast when we cover the Barclays. So, Watford, Eddie Bouvroyd, future England under-21s manager, doing their best. Graham Taylor, 2000 impression, of course, Graham Taylor, famously another FA man. Didn't go too well for him either. Again, Watford in 2007, far off the pace. This time they start incredibly poorly. They do draw a lot, which we uh, tend to say is a good measure of um, a team fighting the drop zone if they're getting... A lot of draws and not losing a great deal. Um, it is sometimes, most of the time, a good a good thing. But their inability to win here hampers them. They win just one game of Premier League football prior to January the 23rd. Yes, not losing a lot is, is good. Not winning a lot is obviously incredibly bad. Welcome to Football 101. 
So by the second half of the season, Watford begin to pick up pick up wins against the likes of Blackburn, West Ham, bit of second season syndrome for West Ham. We'll get onto them in a minute. Portsmouth and Reading, but by these four wins, so 12 points there, it's already far too late. 13 draws ensure that they don't break any low points records a la Sunderland of years gone by or Derby to come. We'll get onto them, don't worry. But with the points tally that they do accrue, they're always going to get relegated. Worse off in terms of points than um, West Brom, which we uh, vilified last week. But uh, there we are. The Ballad of Watford continues and they are going straight back down just as they did in 2000. We'll see into the far off future just how well they can do. Third time lucky under an entirely different regime. More on that soon, I guess. So the end was near when Alan Kirbishley left the Valley for Charlton. Obviously, Alan Kirbishley sent Charlton into their first Premier League season since the rebrand, of course, in 1998. Didn't do too well. They went straight back down. But since then, upon immediate promotion back into the big time, Charlton really fit in the Premier League. They had a couple of good top half of the table seasons here, though. Kirbishley's gone and therefore Charlton's main man around the place has gone. And they cycle through... Ian Dowie, Les Reed, if you remember him, and Alan Pardew in sort of like a quasi Charlton West Ham managerial swap because we'll see Alan Kirbishley go to Upton Park later on in the episode. So essentially, this is a case of a dynasty falling. I mean, we're all relative speaking, aren't we, really? Kirbishley and Charlton and dynasty, of course, nothing like the Ferguson Wenger boot room sort of <laughs> peak of this sort of. Um, category but in relative terms it was a dynasty Charlton with um, essentially nine seasons in the Premier League in 10 years incredible obviously this is their peak times as a football club Um, obviously when Kirbishley leaves the dominoes fall you know Pardew's in before Christmas by which point they looked fairly doomed just two wins on the board three three draws and they're even below Watford could you believe they do have that little spark, that mini resurgence under Pardew in February and March. It could have been a Portsmouth-esque story of the prior season, if you remember we covered them last week. But they do fail to win in their final seven, and they aren't part of this mesmeric final day of the season that involves the likes of West Ham, Wigan, Sheffield United, of course, a final day for the ages, really. And a home defeat to Spurs, Puts the nail in the coffin for Chal and ends their seven years in the big time and they have not been back since. Sheffield United, they're also in the Premier League once again. They were back for the first time in a decade. Neil Warnock back in the Premier League for the first time since, well, he's not been in the Premier League. He was in the old first division with Notts County but didn't last too long with them in the 91-92 season. So he's... I guess back in a um, in a sense, um, in fact, probably going to be the steam of Neil Warnock to keep them up, not the signings. There wasn't a whole lot through the door, um, but in the same case as Watford, it's the old adage that we often come back to on these podcasts: not enough draws. They do record enough wins to stay up, which you know, ten wins you'd think borderline. You just need the draws to you know back you up a little bit. If they'd match that with 10 draws, they're up. 
Um, obviously, they fall somewhere short. They could rue a lot of things, really, <laughs> by the obvious, which we'll get on to, obviously. Um, the decision to give Liverpool a penalty on the first day of the season, which really was a joke, um, to then West Ham United's illegal signings of Javier Mascherano and Carlos Tevez. Now, Mascherano didn't really impact too much. Yes, he's obviously a world-class player or would be in the years to come. But a few handful of appearances before being shipped off to Liverpool didn't really hamper Sheffield United, really. Carlos Tevez, meanwhile, we'll talk about he did. Either way, it comes down to a final day between Wigan and West Ham. Only two of the three could survive, and it's Sheffield United versus Wigan at Bramall Lane on the final day. So even with this, obviously, illegal transfer of Carlos Tevez, which had hampered Sheffield United and made them not comfortable going into the final day with survival assured, they still have a glorious chance to win win another season in the top flight. They've just got to beat Wigan. And it's pretty obvious that this is, or at least could be attributed, down to second season syndrome. Emil Heskey was signed going from one relegation-threatened club in Birmingham of the prior year to another one. Wigan really flirted dangerously with the drop zone. Another Paul pre-Christmas run, obviously the opposite of what Wigan had achieved the prior year. This time, eight losses in a row, not the five and not two incredibly big teams like they had done the prior year. Early season form wasn't anything close to their first season in the Premier League. Therefore, they were in a bit of a scrap. So after a 1-0 win at the City of Manchester Stadium on the 3rd of March, as it was then still called, Wigan were eight points ahead of the dotted line. Everything seemed quite rosy. They'd pulled the nose up a little bit, but they don't win again until the final day, by which point the three points under it. And of course, with goal difference being what it was, all very, very tight between Wigan, West Ham and Sheffield United, of course, whoever wins Wigan versus Sheffield United stays up. West Ham, so let's go back to that crucial weekend, really. March the 3rd, West Ham are at their lowest ebb. Kirbishley, of course, we've spoken about, had been swapped with Alan Pardew, and Kirbishley won his first game at home to eventual champions, if that's not too much of a spoiler, to Manchester United, but they wouldn't win for another 12 games. So from 18 played, they've got 17 points, their goal difference off safety. And then 29 matches played, their bottom, even below Watford, 20 points, 10 points off safety. So we talked about West Brom's great escape in 2005 and said last week that potentially Portsmouth's great escape from 2006 could potentially be better. This is even better than Portsmouth, even better than West Brom, in my opinion. Yes, on the final day to go from 20th to 17th is incredible. Needs a little slice of luck. To go and overturn such a deficit is, in my opinion, a um, a greater achievement. And double figures, I don't think it's ever been done before or since. Maybe one or two occasions where games in hand have come into play, but um, I don't. Th- I think this is probably the greatest escape. Yes, it's West Ham. Yes, they have an incredible crop of players. Yes, they shouldn't really be in this position. And again, like Wigan, second season syndrome a little bit. They do change manager halfway through the term. But Manchester City did have a game in hand on them, so it was almost 11 points off safety, maybe goal difference as well coming into play. But then Carlos Tevez comes into full force, which is why you have Sheffield United having such an aggrievance, having a claim at a points deduction, having a claim at a lot of compensation, which a record-breaking amount would be awarded to them. Obviously, didn't really cushion the blow since they were ultimately relegated, which we'll come on to. So Carlos Tevez hits form, 
West Ham start to win. Blackburn fall, Middlesbrough fall, Arsenal fall, and suddenly West Ham have the fate in their own hands. The three points off the drop off the uh, survival spots off Charlton in 17th place, but they do have a game in hand as well. Ultimately, what should have been really a turning point in the season, West Ham, Sheffield United, Sheffield United win that 3-0. And then West Ham ship four at home to Chelsea. So you've got West Ham with four matches to play looking pretty doomed. You've had this final or what looked like a final flourish coming from that 10-point deficit to maybe probably with the momentum staying afloat to now suffering a huge relapse, five points off survival, four games. Obviously, the games are whittling down here. And then you've got a winner against Everton and then the reverse of that 3-0 loss to Sheffield United. A whipping of Wigan 3-0, which not only corrects their goal difference, it also gets them a little bit of a leg up on Wigan, which drags Wigan right back into it. So you have, with two games to go, Sheffield United are in the dizzying heights of 15th place on 38 points in any of most other seasons in a 38-game spell. That should be enough for the Blades. Fulham are even between them and they're not, they're not really factor into the relegation race until the end. They're on 36, Wigan on 35, above the drop zone on goal difference to West Ham, Charlton, as we mentioned, 33 points. So it's out of West Ham's hands. They then go and beat Bolton to go above the dotted line in a essentially being wedged in between Sheffield United and Wigan. 17th for the first time in Alan Kerbishley's reign, survival, essentially. And all they need now is essentially Wigan and Sheffield United not to draw because if one team wins, they're afloat. Manchester United, they're the team West Ham need to play at Old Trafford. But thankfully for West Ham, they've got the title all sewn up. So a little bit of downing tools. We spoke about that last week with uh, with Chelsea. United had the title sewn up. Carlos Tevez putting himself firmly in the shop window and of course he would sign for Manchester United that, that summer. Um, but a little bit too little too late for Sheffield United, they would think, as uh, Tevez scores the winning goal, which takes West Ham safe. And now it is essentially down to Sheffield United, Wigan. Whoever wins was up. A draw relegated Wigan, thanks to goal difference. David Unsworth, ex-Sheffield United, of course, his penalty sinks Sheffield United and from being 15th with two games to go and seemingly an insurmountable 38 points. We discussed last week a point per game should be enough. Not this season. Um, Obviously the complaints around Tevez and the goals that kept them up directly contributing to six points with goals not even countering into assists, momentum etc and the mystical I guess. Um Sheffield United rightly, rightly feel aggrieved and they wouldn't be back until 2019, of course, where they had a slightly better time of it finishing in the top half. Speaking of the top half, let's work our way up the table. So Fulham, we mentioned them briefly then. The first half of the season, promising. They then switch from uh, Chris Coleman, Laurie Sanchez. They draw enough, six in a row before Christmas, in fact. So then they've got 15 draws on the board by the end of the season. That is what we talk about when we uh, say drawing a lot of games, good, because... Fulham won two fewer games than Sheffield United. Fulham get another season in the top flight. Whether they'll be able to sustain that coming into the 2007-8 season is another thing entirely, of course. Manchester City, well, (laughs) they've got a relegation deserving 29 goals. Their final home goal at the City of Manchester Stadium on New Year's Day 
in a uh, 2-1 win against Everton. Absolutely beggars belief. If only from a Manchester United fan's perspective, they could do that now. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and likewise, Man uh, Newcastle United, poor start, rescued by Glenn Roder to an extent. He resigns with uh, safety sealed. A uh, bit of a poor season, though, of course, 14th place. They get pipped to 13th by one of their neighbours and local rivals, Middlesbrough. Terry Venables declined the job. Gareth Southgate, former player, took it and a pretty safe Pretty safe spot there, Mark Viduka, with enough goals, really, and um, carrying on Borough's post-UEFA Cup run malaise, I guess. Um, Aston Villa from O'Leary to O'Neill and still mid-table safety, a little bit better than the prior season. You've got the likes of Gabi Agbonlahor coming through, Gareth Barry is reaching his peak, Stylian Petrov as well coming to the fore in a pretty good season. For Blackburn, somewhat of a regression, a season of Benny McCarthy and a solid enough um, UEFA Cup run, but ultimately, safe mid-table under Hughes. 10th spot, you can't really argue it from a club of Blackburn's stature now, of course, we spoke about peak Barclays for them in the uh, past few reviews and obviously the, the league title winning 95, but 10th for a, for a team of uh, Blackburn's stature, not too bad, really. But for Portsmouth, an incredible season. Harry Redknapp's got a hold of them. Canu's in and he's scoring the goals. They're in the top half as well for the first time. It feels in ages in the uh, top flight. Nico Kranjkar, of course, is back reunited with uh, Harry Redknapp for the first of many, many stints. And in terms of team building, Glenn Johnson, Saul Campbell, David James, a lot of the peak Portsmouth team of, well, that we're going to cover in the next few uh, season reviews here, coming into, coming into the team and Portsmouth looking on the way up. But... To end this uh, first half of the show, Reading, they were in the, the top flight again. Stunning first season back. You got the likes of Kevin Doyle, Leroy Lita, Hunt, Kitts and Sidwell. Incredible team. Great first half of the season. They were second, but of course, caught um, after successive losses to the likes of Chelsea, Arsenal and Liverpool. We'll call it Wigan Athletic Syndrome as they suffered similarly the prior year. And uh, the start to 2007, showing they could bounce back as well, like Wigan did the prior year. 16 points from the first six games. So by this point, a um, another win would uh, take them into Europe come the end of the season. Six winless, really, in, um, in the second half of the season. Derails Reddin's form. They were seventh and seemingly UEFA Cup bound, but ultimately lose at Watford in the final few days of the season. They draw 3-3 with Blackburn and ultimately this divides the show into teams that go to Europe and teams that don't and Reading are the final one. But eighth place for a Reading team, uh, quite frankly ludicrous really when you think about it and um, what they were, what they would become. Eighth place, one of the all-time great first seasons in the Premier League. You can chalk that up to Blackburn and Newcastle in the earlier days of the league. Of course, that was supplemented well with money, history, reputation, etc. You can probably lump Reading in with Ipswich, Sunderland of recenter times and probably you'd have the three best, with an asterisk, first new season back in the Premier League and Reading deserved to be there. They were absolutely incredible in this season. When we come back, we have got the top seven, the European race, the title race, all to discuss, and a new Premier League winner. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. For the first time in a while, anyway. Stick with us. Welcome back. So in seventh place... Bolton Wanderers. Now we said eighth place for them the prior year was a bit of a downgrade, even though obviously it is Bolton and top half of the Premier League is something that um, certainly that they'd love now in 2022 or in the previous 10 years, if we're honest. So it's a bit of a samey season to go from eighth to seventh. It essentially called time on Sam Allardyce as the manager. Now we're discussing this in terms of of recent times, Bolton had been in the top six. And if you think about it, the 2004-05 season, that was the time where they could have seriously been in the Champions League. And it wouldn't be too much of a... It wouldn't need too much of a vivid imagination to turn that into a what-if video on YouTube if someone does that. Um, in terms of striking whilst the iron was hot, that was the prior season when they finished eighth. So here with another season of similar, we obviously you've got fourth place in the Premier League, looking kind of weak in the past two seasons. Here though, we've got a quite a big divide from what is essentially the top four, which would be the top four for quite some time now, and the rest. And that is only growing with each season. So Sam Allardyce probably recognised this. And to be fair to Allardyce, he's quite switched on in terms of um, getting to places first pro zone etc diets and everything that comes with that despite being labelled in recent times as a bit of a dinosaur he's quite switched on and and everything that comes with that seventh place for Bolton incredible Bolton haven't had times like it really if we're honest Everton they were back in the European mix after a mid-table finish the prior season, and Andy Johnson was banging in the goals. Mikel Arteta, too, joining Tim Cahill in the midfield, and that would be somewhat of a melting pot for a good time for David Moyes moving forward as we go into the uh, 2010s, but still some way off the Champions League places. So, two Spurs, somewhat of another push for the top four, but nothing like, um, nothing like the prior season. As we mentioned, the top four was there for the taking, in 2005, in 2006, when Arsenal and Liverpool probably slightly diminished by getting to the Champions League final, which is kind of what happens when you're an imperfect top four team and you face a, an incredible historic cup run, particularly in Europe, you're going to suffer at some point in other areas. And of course, 2005 for Liverpool Champions League, you're going to suffer in the league. And the league got to the League Cup final, let's be honest, as well. Um, same for Arsenal in 2006. Went right down to the wire. Here, though, Arsenal nowhere near in terms of um, Champions League final again. 
Um, did get to the League Cup final, of course, but um, didn't win it famously against Chelsea. Liverpool did return to the Champions League final, but if you think about how we discussed the improved last season, they've gone from 82 points of last season to 68 here. So they are still in third place, but the league season suffered because of that Champions League run. It's a better team, the 2017 to the 2005 team, obviously, in my opinion. But um, in a loss to Milan, obviously, will not will never get remembered as much as that team, particularly because of the 3-3 scoreline and how they won it in Istanbul compared to how they lost it pretty meekly in Athens. But altogether, a better team. And it does show for Liverpool here because they are so comfortably into the top four places whilst in 2005 suffered greatly in the league whilst they were conquering Europe, essentially. And Spurs, meanwhile, they do get distracted by their own European Cup run. Essentially, it's not the European Cup, it's a European Cup, the UEFA Cup and domestic cups as well. Um, Berbatov scoring plenty as well. Good second half of the season to rescue things once they were out of Europe. And fifth place for Spurs around this time, you know, still a good finish, of course. Arsenal, they probably suffered more so in terms of it was their first season in the Emirates and also their first season without the likes of... Saul Campbell, Ashley Cole, Loren, Dennis Bergkamp, Robert Perez, five huge figures of the Invincibles team. And then you factor in Lundberg and Henri will be gone at the end of this season. Obviously, Patrick Vieira, of course, as well. It's a heavy, heavy transition for Arsene Wenger. And to get into the top four with very little spend as well, of course, famously because of the move, the expensive move from hybrid to the Emirates. It's an incredible season. Obviously, this is why we get into... Fourth, fourth place as a trophy, probably um, Arsene Wenger, well, he's right because of the amount of the financial divide, which is why we have phrases like the top four and the big six and the other 14 now. Arsene Wenger was at the forefront of that, recognising um, recognizing that. But again, 68 points alongside Liverpool, safe in terms of uh, top four football. Liverpool, as we mentioned, vastly improved in the league despite obviously 14 fewer points, but you sign players like Javier Mascherano, halfway through the season, of course, Dirk Kaut, Alvaro Arbeloa, two incredibly important squad players there. It, Liverpool really stunted in the league by a post start, which in suffering four defeats before November, when you're up against the likes of Chelsea and Man United, I mean, the season's all but over there in terms of ending that long drought, 17 years um, to win the league as it was here. Um, you do get a lot of that Rafael Benitez streaky form either side of Christmas, essentially when the Champions League isn't knocking about. And you could say it's certain that the Champions League final run did play a part in their points tally, but still third place and another third place. And the second half of the season does see a massive uptick. Wins against Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham, crucial to them. Getting into the Champions League where in 2005, those of the games would have lost, finished fifth and would have needed that Champions League win to get back into the Champions League. Here, they're fairly safe. And um, ultimately, though, a long way off second place. This is um, probably the one true peak Mourinho versus peak Ferguson Premier League season. Of course, by the time Mourinho returns, Ferguson's gone. And in the first few seasons, Ferguson hadn't quite built that title-winning, title-chasing team as he has done here. So Chelsea, in probably realising that Man United were breathing down their neck in the second half of the, the previous season, spend big on Andrei Shevchenko. 
But essentially, obviously, the £30 million headline there, the signings that really mattered were Ashley Cole, John Obi Mikel, Michael Ballack. Those three, obviously, with Gallas moving out of the door and the other, other end of the Ashley Cole transfer, those three cost Chelsea £9 million, which is absolutely frightening. And obviously, those three would have an incredibly longer-lasting legacy, positive longer-lasting legacy at Stamford Bridge compared to Shevchenko, of course. They didn't really get off on a similar foot in the league um, compared to the two title winning seasons because you got losses against Middlesbrough, Spurs, of course, both away because, you know, this is Mourinho in his first spell at Chelsea. They never lose at home. Essentially, though, too many draws curtail their place at the top. They're six points behind Man United to start the, uh, the 2007 calendar year. And after a hiccup at Anfield, Chelsea will go on to win their next nine, showing title form, which is probably one of the only reasons why we do have a Chelsea-Man United title race in this season. We do have 81 points playing 78, which comes down to then probably the most crucial afternoon of the title race, April the 22nd, where Manchester United draw at home to Middlesbrough, potentially a way back in for Chelsea, but then they draw, which leads on to an even greater Greater weekend, which probably more so than the previous one, switches the title race completely. Um, Chelsea play Bolton, draw, and Everton play Manchester United. Everton 2-0 up in the second half, no less, but Manchester United well on their way to winning the title with a 4-2 win. Phil Neville throwing one in in his own net, forgetting what team he played for for a second. But it is probably the, the the turning point for United here. Probably made to feel a bit more important by Sky, who for some reason televised them concurrently for whatever reason, perhaps Easter weekend, although it seems far too late for Easter. Can't remember. Anyway, so three Manchester United goals in 17 second half minutes essentially kills off Chelsea's title bid. Of course, Chelsea would then wind up drawing their last five games. So how did Manchester United do it? Well, the start of the season, there was huge concern about whether or not they'd be able to mount a title push whatsoever and who would leave. Would it be Wayne Rooney? Would it be Cristiano Ronaldo after their huge fallout during the 2006 World Cup quarterfinal? All those fears thoroughly allayed in the opening day of the season. A 5-1 win against Fulham. Rooney and Ronaldo combined for three of those goals. And really, as United go... In terms of their historic Premier League starts, you can probably only put 99-2000, alongside this team, really. Even though by far, even still, with the last 10 years um, to go, um, they still are the most successful Premier League team by a long distance. And this was one of their rare good starts to the season. Two draws, one loss from the first 17. You could probably... Also chuck in the 2010-11 season for how long they stayed undefeated. But here, you had a huge transition. You had, of course, Rooney and Ronaldo. They were now coming to a bit of a boil. Roy Keane was gone. Michael Carrick was in. We spoke about Patrice Ever and Emmanuel Vidic. A little bit more experience of Premier League football under their belts as well. And they really didn't feel the pinch of Ruud van Nistelrooy's departure and defensively they were just incredible, which is where you have the difference between a team that can only contend for the title and a team that does win it in the end. Obviously, Rio Ferdinand, first full um, full season for a while. Of course, you have the, the ban in the 2003-04 season, which stops United to a certain extent when they were top 
going into 2004. And not only did Manchester United have a solid season in uh, in the Premier League, they, they were on for a, a treble, which doesn't get spoken about a little bit. Obviously, it's dwarfed by the following season, both continentally and domestically. But here they were in the FA Cup final, the Champions League semi-final, and still managed to win the league title, which shows how far the development of Rooney and Ronaldo had come. It shows how well Michael Carrick fit in, and it shows how well the defence was shaping up. Of course, Gary Neville right back. Patrice Ever and Gabriel Heinz are still jostling for that left-back berth, but by the summary, of course, it would be Patrice Evra's for the next seven, eight years there. Of course, they would lose in the semi-final to, to uh, the eventual champions Milan. They would lose to Chelsea in the FA Cup, which in itself could have been a domestic treble for, for Chelsea some 12 years before Pep Guardiola did um, likewise with, uh, with Manchester City. So that's not to discount this Chelsea team who were... Second in three different um, three different competitions and the Champions League semi-final defeat to Liverpool. So probably as close as we had ever got until obviously last season with Liverpool of, a, of an English team winning the quadruple. Of course, you can look to Manchester United in 99, Manchester United in 2008 as well. And of course, you know, the Liverpool teams of the 80s, 84 maybe as well. Uh, 77, I think, who came fairly close in terms of the treble as well. But Manchester United, a cut above, particularly with that um, that win at Goodison Park, they would win the league title at um, from the comfort of their own living rooms, but obviously safe in the knowledge with a Manchester Derby 1-0 win, thanks to a Cristiano Ronaldo penalty. And then obviously the following day, Chelsea would lose at the Emirates to signify a first league title for Manchester United in four years, which would be... Sir Alex Ferguson's longest stretch, of course, 86, November of 86 is when he came into May 1993 when he won his first league title. From then, though, at least in the Premier League era, when football famously began, this is the longest that Sir Alex Ferguson went without winning the league title. They never went more than two seasons. Here it was three seasons and then the fourth they won again. Of course, it's been it's been almost 84 years <laughs> been since they last won a league title. They are still stuck on title number 20, Ferguson's last year as um, as a manager, of course. Next week, we'll have something entirely different. We're beginning our countdown to the World Cup. So we're going to take a look at, through rose-tinted spectacles, some naughty nostalgia and take a look at the best players of the World Cup in the 2000s. I hope you join me for that one and, of course... We've got the World Cup to come and something very, very special here on the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thank you for listening and until next time, see you. Podcast Network.